In this episode, we speak to Dr. Antonio Okana, a senior mental health professional from Los Angeles, and he explains how contemplation and the adios principle specifically impact certain circuits of the brain and help them improve. Peace of mind is our cardinal principle at adios. That's our fundamental filter that we pass everything through. Dr. Okana's take on this is very fascinating as he explains that even the brain has its own way to define peace of mind. Listen to how he explains that the brain defines peace of mind in physiological terms. Hello, Dr. Okana. Welcome. To the- Hello, Jeroen. So good to see you again. Good to see you, sir. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about your professional background to begin with? Sure. So, um, Antonio Okana, MD. I've been in the mental health profession for 25 years. Uh, as time has gone on, I've come to appreciate the the need for a more holistic approach. How the medicine and the therapy got divided in the first place is a mystery. It should never be divided. And so one of the things I'm trying to do now is bring the therapy into into the medical side of it. And then there's a third part. It's the mind body. So not counseling, but contemplation. And when I met you, this this missing piece all of a sudden became filled. And I thought, that's it. This is the trilogy. Medicine, talk, and contemplation. I just it just holds together so nicely. So that's how I that's who I am and how the contemplation fits into my practice. I have a 5,000 patients, uh, probably a 1,000 of them are active. I have two clinics, one in Canada, one in the US. Um, I've always been more of a psychopharmacologist and specializing in addiction, trauma, ADHD, the more complex mental conditions. Um, And now I can, you know, augment my treatment with some more, I will say, subtle um, interventions, but they're all valuable. So now I'm developing my brand, my my product, and um, like you, trying to get uh, customers to appreciate the benefits. I see. Okay, so before we delve into the professional aspects of contemplation, why don't we start with your personal experience? You went through the Adios contemplation program. What was your experience? How did you find it? And what were your observations as you went through it personally? So, for starters, I have to say I've never seen anything like it. I've never had a program from anybody anywhere that so accurately hit my 
weak spots. Uh, you know, all the all the mind body stuff. I don't have a problem. You know, I have a well-rounded approach to life. All the well, you shouldn't be anxious product. It's like I'm not anxious. But there is something about the Adios program that was more accurately finding my weakness and giving it a solution. And I think, you know, it's just, it's novel. It's, I've never seen it. And I found it helpful. So, you know, something like the twin voices, very simple. But few people isolate that principle so clearly and put it front and center. That's what you have to do. Listen to the twin voices. If you don't do that, you're not, like you say, listening in. Well, what are you doing? How, how are you having any kind of any, how are you having any kind of introspection of your life if you're not doing that? So uh, another thing, for example, the urge to prove you know, that's just not in anyone else's program. We are, the masculine of us is competitive. And whether it's physically competitive or emotionally competitive or intellectually competitive, we are hardwired to, to want to um, usurp. But it doesn't work very well. And there's there's a lot to be said for being aware of your urge to prove and that like i tell you i think about that five times a day there's a little there's a little tarun in my head who says are you listening to yourself if you need to say that maybe you should think about how to say it if you do need to say it but if you don't just don't <laughs> that's very kind of you I, I am, I have Tarun-sized. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds dangerous. Okay, and uh, let's look at the professional aspect now. As a doctor, as a very experienced doctor, how do you see this fitting into the health spectrum? How do you see this fitting into the brain part of it? Well, so there's two parts. It is very intuitive insofar as it aligns with my understanding of the way the brain works. So you have a left brain and a right brain, and they're very different. And your left brain is the you must survive, and the right brain is you must cooperate. And they are neither one is right nor wrong. Sometimes the left is too strong and the right needs to step in. Sometimes the right is too strong and the left needs to step in. So I see the adios principles as aligning with that um, paradigm very nicely. One, um, from the health point of view, it's like I said, there are are different kinds of tools. Some are sharp, some are, you know, hard, but not sharp, and some are softer. And, you know, this contemplation is on the softer side, but it 
is important. It's part of the triad. Um, medicine by itself will never solve the problem. Just counseling, not strong enough. Just contemplation, not strong enough. But you put them all three together and it's like, it's like a chair with three legs. It stands. And two legs doesn't stand. <laughs> so, for so I really, I really like your program. I like the way it complements um, the other parts of my um, offerings. And I like the way it aligns with my worldview. I see. So let's delve uh, in a little more detail about the, the triad that you spoke about. Could you think of some examples? Is it some kind of a spectrum that we are looking at in terms of treatment or mental well-being in general? And what specifically, what, what exa do some examples come to mind as to when is what useful and how can these three work beautifully in conjunction? Right. So I think you and I have had this conversation and um, it, is, it is a triad. And if we were going to call this zero and this a hundred, okay. So it's thirty-three, sixty-six, ninety-nine. In the top, um, sixty-six to a hundred, people are sick. Like they don't function. You know, mm. after if you're talking up from zero to hundred, once you're getting past sixty-five, those people struggle to be employed hmm. in the middle section from 33 to 66 those people are employed they're doing well they have some struggles and zero to 33 people are thriving right if we're measuring zero to 100 100 is the worst the most problems hmm. zero to 33 have very few problems you know so the contemplation part fits in the middle if you're thriving, you don't need anything. You, you're doing well. You know how to solve your problems. I had this patient today. I said, you should be so proud of yourself. Six months ago, you were burning out. You, you, you were in full mental breakdown. And now look at you. And, you know, you've got your friends together. You've got your home together. You've got your relationship better. And you, and you have your... Um, uh, kids you're you're dealing better with your kids and so she's the kind of person who yes she needed medicine yes she needed therapy but she also benefited from contemplation because in even in any one person there are different elements of the illness that need different kinds of treatment i wouldn't give contemplation to someone 75 and up because you can't touch them they're too sick mm. in the middle it's just perfect and over here they're they don't need it they've they're already contemplating so you know the the contemplation fits in in certain places in certain people in certain ways and it's just a great tool to have okay and could you give us some examples of a few specific principles 
in, in the audios program, for example, and how do you see them impacting the physiology, the brain part of it? Because I have designed them keeping the mind part of it. But how yeah. do you see them uh, affecting the brain? Well, um, one of my favorite of the principles is negative comparison. And I call it the should. You should be making more money or you should be driving as nice a car. You should have such and such uh, prestige. You are making a negative comparison. And the second you do that, you've lost. Because you can't should your way through life. And some cultures are very should oriented. And you think, well, how did a culture, a whole culture, get so far with such an unhealthy approach of comparing yourself to other people? It's toxic. How does it work in the brain? Because when you say, when you compare yourself to somebody, you are immediately diminishing your value, your self-esteem. And by thinking that way, one, you drop your serotonin levels. It's like if you walk around like this, you have lower serotonin levels than if you walk around like this with your back straight and looking ahead. Um, so you physically change your brain chemicals. Then on a different side, you're spending so much mental energy thinking about what you should do and what other people are doing. You're exhausting your brain. If you took that same energy and applied it to reading a nice book or growing some flowers, roses maybe, you'd, you'd, be, you'd be so much further ahead. And then it's the other third part of it is what are you doing to manage the that person's making more money or I should be making more money? What are you actually doing with your time? You're probably doing something quite destructive, like working too much or cheating people or or being um, yeah, isolating yourself so that you can succeed, right? As opposed to taking the time to sharing. Something like negative comparison is one of the most toxic patterns that I see in my patients. And to get out of that, I, I try and use the left brain, right brain um, paradigm. So I'll say your your left brain is saying you should be better. You should be richer. You should have a prettier wife. And because there's some survival benefit to that. So what I teach them to do is elevate the conversation so that instead of being the victim of that voice, you become the boss. You become the CEO and you tell that voice three things. One, empathy. 
you're actually talking to the other voice. You say, I'm sorry you feel that that's so important. I understand how you might do that. Empathy, authority. But actually, that's not very good for us. And we're not going to do that. Third thing, facts. Because when we do that, we spend too much time at the office. We're not um, paying attention to our friends. And our children don't know us. Then you close the conversation by saying, thank you for your input. Please sit down. So you're actually training your brain to have a conversation with that negative comparison voice and elevate it from the kind of conversation that two children would have to the kind of conversation where a boss is talking to an employee who's chattering away at the back of the room and disrupting the meeting. So the CEO can't yell at that person. Sometimes they do, but it's not very good manners. Can't ignore the person because it'll just get worse. Can't be rude to the person because then the other people in the meeting are going to lose respect for you. So the CEO has a certain voice that she has to have to talk to the negative comparison voice. It has to be a respectful voice. And when you do that, it opens up all this space for a more equitable life. You stop being the victim of your negative comparison voice. That's a big deal that will save you that will save you from getting cancer oh i see okay because the stress of i should do this i have to do that it raises your cortisol and your cortisol um mutes your immune system it inhibits the immune system so those little cancer cells are no longer being attended to because the immune system is being quieted by the stress hormones. Like that's not a very good position to be in. You wonder why so many people die of cancer. It's not because they're not eating their broccoli. It's because their life, their brain is always under stress because they're allowing themselves to live in this negative comparison paradigm so what you're saying is stress is essentially the operating system for the cancer cells to thrive it is the environment it is the environment for them to thrive it's like all the guards have gone home and the criminals can do what they want oh i see Okay. Because so your then, immune system is surveillance. Oh, look, there's a cancer cell. Let's go kill it. Oh, there's a virus. Let's send an army. That's what your immune system does. Hmm. But when you're stressed, the stress hormones immobilize those armies. And so the cancers and the viruses, they they have their way and you degenerate. So then the same uh, would apply to the principle of the urge to prove. 
how does that uh, affect the brain what's happening there you are in a meeting and you're trying to prove in a relationship with your partner you're trying to prove someone else is wrong you are right and things like that how do you see that affecting the brain so the urge to prove is a different circuit negative comparison is the serotonin circuit urge to prove is the dopamine circuit so low dopamine does not feel good and so you, you have the opportunity to compete and win, it makes you feel better. It raises your dopamine. And some people are just genetically low dopamine. And so they're always trying to find a way through food, drugs, or risk, competition, sex. All these things can be healthy, but they can also be very toxic. And so the person who always needs to prove is basically saying, I'm addicted to arguing. I'm addicted to the adrenaline and the dopamine that I get from competing, from being right. And that is a very, very unhealthy scenario, just like the other one. In this case, it's not impairing your immune system. Hmm. It's just losing you friends. <laughs> I see. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose partners. You're going to lose uh, teammates. You're going to lose employees. It is a very toxic scenario. Um, and if you don't have the insight the contemplative um, pattern, habit, you're not going to notice that. You go your whole life, you go to your grave, never noticing how impossible you are to be with because you always have to be right. Mm. The, pe the people will leave you and you don't know what you don't know. So you don't know who's not around because they can't stand being with you you're so um what's the word i'm looking for difficult to please mm -hmm. i see and apart from losing your friends employees etc as you know we speak in the program the fundamental principle is is this making you more peaceful or is this making you less peaceful? So you're essentially going to lose your peace of mind. You are. You are, like you said, uh, you one of the feels good versus feels right. So it feels good to compete, hmm. but you are in a combative um, stance. Which is not peaceful. Which is not peaceful. But some people like combat. So they'll say, but it feels right to me. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's the tricky part about the program is because it is in a way judgmental. It is judgmental. It's saying peacefulness is better. Some mm. people think combat is better. And so one of the things I learned from you is that if you must combat, 
do it peacefully. <laughs> well, that's why we say, this is how it is. We will not tell you what to do. You decide. Ultimately, mm -hmm. which is why we have taken the argument out of the equation and say, all we are saying is, consider both the aspects thoroughly, but do it yeah. alone so that the ego doesn't get in the way. Because in the process of you examining your own urge to prove, if you do it with another person, then that very urge to prove comes into the picture and now you have to prove that you mm -hmm. don't have an urge to prove. You see the vicious cycle, which is why we're saying do it alone. It's a yeah, journey no, that I you like take that. with yourself. And is, despite that, if you still feel that you want to do things that give you the dopamine hits, you want to only do adventure after adventure, then that's your call. We are nobody to tell you how to live your life. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, it, I think, you know, you've, you've, um, I would say cleverly taken a lot of the conflict out of the program because exactly what you just said you don't tell people what to do you ask them what feels good and that you know always it's a smart way of doing it it, it, it gets you out of the i'm right you should do it this way uh, evangelistic stance yeah uh, we, have, we have taken that out and we have had people who have considered it very few one in a hundred, maybe one in a thousand, but I've met people who have said, I don't want peace of mind. Hmm. I oh, want excitement. Sure. Yeah. So interestingly, they get excitement so that they can get peace of mind because that dopamine does calm them. I see. So they're not happy in full combat either but the combat gives them the dopamine that calms their brain like a race car driver he's actually everything's so slow he's completely calm because there's so much stress that it's meeting his dopamine or her dopamine need they're they're quiet their brain's quiet so we can't transpose what we think is too stressful to someone else might find it very common. And so there's, there's different principles that apply to different people. Not all the principles apply to everybody. And there's always the, why don't you introspect about that if that really does make you peaceful or does that really make you calmer um, but or, like I said, or are you mistaking excitement for peace of mind? Again, you decide. Yeah. And, and what I ask people is, so how's that working for you? You don't want peace of mind? What you don't realize is that inside your body, there's a process and the body keeps score. And what you think is the right thing to do when you're 50 and you have a heart attack, you might realize it's not the right thing to do because you can't outsmart your body. 
The body is the boss. Oh, I see. Okay, so that's so something that a, they may not realize today. And that's one of the very clever, subtle, and um, I would say brilliant part about the Adios program is that it's fundamentally aligning itself. It's aligning itself with physiology. Your brain knows when something's going wrong, even though you don't. Oh, I see. Even though, you know, your mind is not aware. The mind is not aware. But your brain can sense the vibration of what is peaceful and what is right and what is excitement and what is not good for you even when your mind can't tell. And so what the Dios program is, is listening in, listening in to that vibration and saying, you know, actually this doesn't feel right. Then the question is, now can I change that? An addict knows that when they go to get cocaine, they know it's wrong. Mm. So it's not just a matter of knowing what to do. Yeah, You still have to have that left brain, right brain conversation. Mm. And in that conversation, very, very few people master it because most people with addiction have the genetic low dopamine that they're trying to overcome. And most of them have a low serotonin from low self-esteem from being emotionally abused. Those are not easy to overcome, which is why we we haven't gotten, we've got our care of addiction in North America, let's say, has gotten worse in the last 10 years, not better. Just about every other part of medicine, the survival rates or the efficacy of the treatment is going up. Heart disease treatment is getting better. Cancer treatment is getting better. Surgical treatment is getting better. Addiction treatment, getting worse. Oh, I see. So we got a big mountain to climb, Tarun. Uh, the mind is a very wily beast. And these are good tools to have. They don't solve all the problems. Right? You still have to work them. But they're good tools. Right. And you said something very interesting. In fact, I learn something new from you every time we speak to each other. And this is something that you have said for the first time. Correct me if I'm wrong or if my understanding is incorrect. What you're saying is, the program talks about, does it make you feel more peaceful or does it make you feel more restless? Decide based upon that and you decide. What you're saying is your brain knows what is peaceful. So are you saying that what the brain is deciding is what is good for your body is how I'm going to decide what is peaceful for you. Like the example you gave, if something is going to destabilize your immune system, that is not peaceful for you. Is that how mm -hmm. the brain is deciding? 
That is how the brain is deciding. The brain is aware, physically aware of the distress you're under, even if you are unaware. So sometimes you're stressed and you know you're stressed. Mm. And sometimes you think everything's fine, but you're not fine. And if you were listening in, your brain were listening in to that internal, it's not a, even a dialogue, it's just a vibration. If your mind was listening in to your brain, your mind would say, hmm, something's not right here. Hmm, maybe we should do something about it. But humans are very, one, unaware, and two, even when they're aware, not terribly skilled at doing anything about it. So like Tarun, the, the human condition is chaos and 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 uh, impotence. Like it's chaos in here. And even when we are listening in, we're impotent. Like you're talking 1% of people, 90% of people are asleep or confused or delusional. 10% of people are awake. And of the 10% that are awake, only 10% can actually do what they know they should do. Okay, maybe I'm exaggerating. Maybe it's of that 10%, three out of 10 can actually master it. The other seven are still trying. They know, they're aware, but you know, the human condition is a hot mess. We're a miserable bunch of people. Just look around you. I mean, I like to look for the positive in humanity, but sometimes I just shake my head and go, what a mess we are. It's, you know, I try and look at the positive. Yeah, so now if you look at another principle, so all of this is essentially focused on you looking inward, as we know, at a fundamental mm -hmm. level. Mm -hmm. And one of the principles specifically talks about living your life largely looking outward or looking inward. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on, because what's happening today, as you said, why the condition is getting worse is also partly because of the number of distractions we have in the outside world today, and they are only going to grow, which is taking yeah, away from looking inward. For sure. Like people just don't look in. They're looking out. They're, they're striving to be better than the next guy instead of having a good life, enjoying what you have. Enjoy what you have and don't spend your life trying to beat your beat or be as good as or be better than or have as much as just stop comparing yourself to everybody else. Look inside. There's so much time you really have if you think about it. So much time you have to ask yourself, what makes me peaceful? And all the time that we waste doing X, Y, Z, when we really could just be satisfied. I don't know what I was doing the other day. I don't know. I was probably watching some movie of misery. 
And I thought, man, people just don't know how to be happy. So the beginning of being happy is looking in. And in looking in, you become aware of, let's just say, your bad habits. Then you have to find a way of becoming in control of those bad habits. Then you have to find a way of enjoying what you do have. Not too many people are there. Yeah. So the twin voices that we speak about, which is where when you look inward, one of your voices is saying, I want to prove him wrong, or I want excitement, or I want to feel good in the moment. But there is that other voice which is saying, no, it is not going to make you peaceful. Now, mm -hmm. I have designed these principles, keeping the mind in mind. Yeah, but yeah. are you saying that these two or more than two voices are also physiologically present in some part of the brain? Absolutely. You have four voices that you can locate physiologically in the brain. So there's the reflexive voices. They're automatic. Okay, They come from the reptilian part of the brain. So someone's talking to you. How are you doing? Fine, thank you. How are you? That's reflexive. You are not thinking about what you're saying. You're just speaking. And then there's the, so that's the external reflexive voice. Then there's the internal reflexive voice. And that's the internal critic. It's not thinking about what it's saying. It's just saying, you shouldn't have done this. You're too fat. Why is your hair so, <laughs> so long? <laughs> you, should, you should be better looking. That's internal reflexive. Then there's so then there's external reflective. So when you're thinking about what you say to somebody, you're thinking about it. You're not reacting. You're reflecting. And then there's when you're thinking about what you're saying to yourself. That's you talking to yourself. That's that the voice of self-awareness and the, the voice of self-management. Those are four voices that are there for different reasons that evolved in different parts of our human evolution that had different purposes. The internal reflective was the most recent. Okay. Evolutionarily, the most recent, like monkeys and gorillas are not aware of themselves. They don't say, I can't believe you ate that banana. You shouldn't have. It was not your banana. <laughs> the monkey doesn't think that. Only humans do that. So that's the most advanced part. And the most primitive is what you do without thinking. Hi, how are you? Fine. There's no thought going into that answer. And so your brain is really um, four parts built one upon the other, not, not naturally integrated. Mental health is about integrating those four levels of the brain. 
And are these also divided between the left and the right brain? Yeah, they are. Okay. Well, you have a, we call it the long brain. I stole that from a, a person I met the other day at a party, which is your spinal cord, your, your actual reflexes. Then you have your reptilian brain, your automatic, don't think, just act brain. Then you have your emotional brain. And I feel happy. I feel sad. Oh, I want, you know, I want more pleasure. I want more excitement. And then you have your cognitive brain. You really shouldn't have done that. That's not very good for you. There's, there's no good, nothing good will come of that. So your cortex, your rational brain. And illness is when they're not integrated. And health is when they are integrated. And most people are not integrated. Some people are too, too intellectual. They're not, they're not paying attention to their feelings. Some people are too emotional. They can't control themselves. Some people are automatic, just reflexive, just do without thinking. Hmm. And some people are too sensory. I can't stand that. Oh, that's really itchy on me. Like they can't even get through the day because their clothes are touching their skin. Hmm. That's not healthy, right? I see. So the so internal reflective, I'm sorry, the internal reflective part that you mentioned, the voice, is that the voice of the brain that you mentioned physiologically that is telling you this is not good because this is not good for your body? Yeah. Oh, I see. It's the highest order voice. Mm. Listening in. So, so adios, contemplation, is about empowering, um, increasing the strength, the fitness, the intelligence of that fourth voice. I see. And it is not a natural thing. Most people have no awareness of themselves or, well, maybe that's not completely true. A lot of people have no awareness of themselves. Hmm. Some people have some awareness, but we all, we're all still, you know, not, we don't know ourselves very well. Yeah. I think that would be an accurate statement to make. We, today, the, the way the world stands, we are not really one with ourselves. We don't really know what we are doing. We are more of a reflective, reflexive society. More reflective. I like, I like your, uh, one of the principles, you know, you say something like, you have a deep understanding of yourself. Like if, if you did have a deep understanding of yourself, you wouldn't think that or you wouldn't do that. There's a word, I can't remember a, a phrase that you use, uh, internal knowledge of yourself or something like that. What do you call it? I also don't remember what you're referring to. Well, deep connection with yourself or something like that. Mm -hmm. If you have a deep connection with yourself, then you don't need to do that. Then that isn't tempting you because you have a deep understanding of who you really are. Yeah. Most people don't have that mm -hmm. any deep understanding of who they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. You're also writing a book, aren't you? Yes, I am. 
Uh, would and you be kind enough to share without? Uh... Sure, sure. So the science of the left and the right brain was explained to me in a book. And I thought, you know, this is like a, it's like a constant um, battle between the left and the right brain. The This is good for me, survival, and this is good for us, cooperation. Mm -hmm. And I thought, if you could control that, if you could tune into that, if you could shift to the correct balance for each situation, you'd be the master of your domain. And so the book is called Right Shift, which means shift to the correct, not necessarily the right, but the correct balance for the situation. I'll give you an example. So you say you're a police officer and you're chasing somebody and it's fight or flight. Left brain is full on. It's survival. And your heart is pounding. Your blood pressure is high. You're sweating. And then you realize you're chasing the wrong person. Mm. You might just grab them and beat them to death anyway because you can't stop yourself. Mm. I'm exaggerating. Right, right. But if you, if you found that, oh, this isn't the person isn't they're just running away from me because they're scared they haven't actually done anything wrong could you shift to your mm -hmm. right brain to your cooperative and um compassionate brain could you shift enough to optimize that phase of the of the encounter or couldn't you? Could so you do you just... have the self-control to do the right thing? Even do until... the right thing. Shift to the right. Do the right shift of brain as the case may be. If you can do that, you're a master. And the book is just about identifying those scenarios and then teaching people how to conduct the conversation so that the correct brain is in power. Wonderful. Sounds like so a wonderful book. I was at a party a couple days ago, Friday, Saturday. And, uh, you know, I'm chattering away. And one lady says, she says, you've got something. I'm like, sorry? She says, I'm a book editor. She says, I don't tell people they're good unless they're good. <laughs> Very nice. And this looks like uh, a book for a layman, not doesn't sound very jargony or technical. No, it strives to talk to the common man. I like to think that I'm talking to my grandmother and I wouldn't, I avoid all jargon. I don't use the word neurochemical. I call it a brain chemical. Oh, I see. Okay. I I I don't use technical words and I try and use analogies because I want anybody to read this 
a, you know, a 14 year old uh, student or a physician. Sounds wonderful. All right. All right. Thank, Thank you so much. much. Thank Good you so much. Again. Bye. Bye. Please practice 10 to 20 minutes of contemplation every day. It will help you a lot. If you prefer a more systematic and a structured approach to learning things, you can also join our contemplation program and we will help you learn and master contemplation. Contemplation is the mother of clarity. All the best.